Welcome all and welcome October. I try not to think of any month as a favorite because I think slow living through the seasons means we pause long enough to enjoy what each turn of the wheel has to offer. But where we live in terms of sheer beauty, color, abundance, atmosphere, just sheer vibrancy, this month is like no other. To quote Thomas Wolfe from the novel of Time and the River, October is the richest of seasons. There's no doubt in terms of weather, October typically is perfectly gentle, sunny, and mild. We can leave the windows open day and night. There's no more need for air conditioning, and we can usually get away without turning on any heat until much later in the month, or maybe even not at all until November. And there's no blue like an October sky on a clear day, and no color like the blazing red, yellow, and orange leaves of a maple tree against that blue sky of our maple tree, the one that you see from the front porch along the gravel drive, the one that never disappoints when it comes to an autumn spectacle. I have a special association with the phenomenon of late October in the hills of southwest Virginia. We lived there when my first child was born, and the window in my hospital room looked out on a picture of such magnificence and beauty that, to me, a sight commingled with the experience of giving birth for the first time could never be captured by anything other than my own eyes and my heart in that special time. There'll never be anything else like it for me. And if it sounds like I'm swooning, I am, and I do apologize. I know we don't all live in a place where fall puts on such a show, and I know what that feels like. It's kind of a FOMO, fear of missing out. There are beautiful places in the world that I love, and I long to see more often than I do, such as the ocean, for instance, or the vast mountain ranges out west. But don't we all have some particular time and place of beauty that's imprinted on our souls? For me, it's the peak of autumn in the Blue Ridge Mountains. I hope you have one, some special spot of beauty that speaks to your heart alone. And if not, perhaps you can make it an intention to find one. Anyway, back to October. In the culture, it's all about Halloween right now, of course. I'm sure I don't have to describe to you the extent of the hype going on out there. So how can we experience what's special about this season without being swamped by all the commercial noise around it? I think one rule of thumb, which is easy to remember, is this. When possible, choose outdoors over stores. It might sound a little silly at first, but that's okay if it makes you pause the next time you're inclined to go to Target for whatever. I'm not saying don't go to Target or Michael's or any of those other places where your senses are going to be flooded with all the things you can buy to celebrate the season. But I am saying if you limit your trips and replace one or two of those outings a week being immersed in the true elements of the season, Your nervous system and your pocketbook will be the better off for it. And take the kids with you. Help them have a seasonal experience that's beyond retail. So what is Halloween anyway? Why do we celebrate it in the first place? Where did it originate? And why is it such a huge thing now? 
So for just a little quick background of it, Halloween festivities originated around the fourth cross-quarter day of the year between the autumn equinox and the winter solstice in December. In the ancient Celtic tradition, it's known as a festival of Samhain, spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, but pronounced Samhain. So as the seasons shifted and our ancestors felt the waning of the availability of food and light and the coming of the cold, there was the growing concern for surviving the winter. Death felt closer, the space between life and death narrower. It was a time when they perhaps felt a little more in touch with the other side. So much later, when the church declared November 1st as All Saints Day, which was the time that the church set aside to honor all the departed saints or the hallowed ones, the night before became All Hallows' Eve or Halloween. So you can see how this time of year in the Northern Hemisphere, as our ancestors observed nature in its waning phase and were reminded of their vulnerability to nature and the ever-present nearness of death, how our current Halloween celebrations and traditions can be traced back to those earliest times when the fear for survival and what might be waiting on the other side were a daily reality. So what does that have to do with where we are now in the culture and slow living through the seasons? Emma and I have a whole conversation about this in a bonus episode from last year about Halloween and about how we can enjoy the season on a more physical cellular level, more connected to it through our natural surroundings than through the costumes, the plastic decorations, and the candy. So we'll link that here in the show notes. If this is interesting to you, we hope you'll go listen for some thoughts and ideas for having all the fun and less of the enormous waste that Halloween currently represents. So let's talk about the garden now and planting by the signs as this growing season wanes for many of us. As always, what you're able to do at this point depends on your goals and your growing zone. And there are many resources online and otherwise to guide you through that not the least of which is to check in with other local growers and see what works or doesn't work in your region this time of year. But wherever you are, it's useful to know that the new moon is on the 14th, which will begin the waxing phase of this month, and the full moon, sometimes called the hunter's moon, on the 28th, when it will begin its wane. So why is it called the hunter's moon? According to the old farmer's almanac, it's believed that it was a sign for hunters to prepare for the upcoming cold winter by going hunting. It was a time when animals were beginning to fatten up in preparation for the winter weather, and also the full moon would provide more light for the hunt. Here in Zone 7, we'll most likely get at least a light frost by the end of this month. I'll be harvesting the roots and leafy greens that I put in late summer, but since I don't have a cold frame or a tunnel, I'll be getting my winter produce from my local CSA. But one thing I will be planting this month is garlic. It's planted now so it can winter underground, and then it starts emerging in spring. The scapes will appear in June, and then the garlic is harvested in midsummer, usually July for us. Garlic is so easy and satisfying to grow. You simply plant the cloves pointy end up about six to eight inches apart and cover them with a couple of inches or so of good dirt and you're done. If you haven't tried it before, 
I encourage you to give it a go and plant lots of it, more than you think you can use, because then you can use any leftover cloves to plant next year. And this week on Friday, October 6th and Saturday, October 7th is a great time to plant it with the waning moon in Cancer. Here's a true confession. If you don't get around to it this month, November works too. And I've even waited until December some years, as long as the soil isn't frozen. And it turns out great. Garlic is a forgiving crop and I highly recommend it for beginners. Okay, for this month's planting by the signs lesson, I said I was going to go over the signs, their symbols and their rulership or the body part associated with each one. Remember, there will be a link in the show notes to a blog summarizing all of this. And anyway, some of it you already know. Here's the list, starting with the head and moving down the body. At the head, you have Aries, the ram. Taurus, the bull, is the neck. And Gemini, the twins, represent the arms. Next is Cancer, the crab, the breast. Then Leo, the lion, rules the heart. Virgo, the virgin, rules the bowels. Libra, the scales, represents the loins. And Scorpio, the scorpion, is the secrets or the genitals. Sagittarius, the archer, rules the thighs. Capricorn, the goat, represents the knees. Aquarius, the waterman, the legs. And Pisces, the fish, rules the feet. So all of this might sound pretty random, but sometimes when you learn the rules or the advice, it makes perfect sense. For instance, if Pisces rules the feet, then it follows that the conventional wisdom says it's a good sign for root crops. And where I come from, it was said that you should plant your beans and other vines like cucumbers and melons in Gemini or the arms, even though Gemini is a barren sign. Why? Well, maybe because the arms represent sturdy vines. I don't really know, but that's just an example of where all this can go. So besides the 6th and the 7th as a prime time to plant root crops, we've got some great days to plant spring flowering bulbs, especially on the 13th and 14th in Libra. October is also a great month to divide and move your perennials around. Good days for transplanting this month are the 15th, 16th, and 17th in Scorpio, the 24th and 25th in Pisces, and the 28th, 29th, and 30th in Taurus. We're still harvesting and preserving into October, and sometimes the race is on to get it done before the frost. For things that you want to store, such as potatoes, onions, apples, and pears, harvest in the third or fourth quarter in any barren sign except Virgo. For things that you're going to use in a short period of time, you obviously need to pick it whenever it's ready. But when you have the option, try to harvest in a barren sign. This helps the fruit or vegetable stay intact better until you can cook or process it. Remember that we'll have all of this written out in a blog linked in the show notes and that we also have the free monthly printable downloadable planting by the signs of the moon calendar for those in our Good Dirt supporter membership. If you're not a member yet, but you'd like to have this calendar handy for easy reference every month, it's easy to join. Just go to the link provided and join us anytime. Preserving garden herbs before the frost is another October task, which brings us into the seasonal kitchen for this month. In my experience, there's no one way that works equally well for all of the herbs 
for instance. Some of them dehydrate well, while others are best frozen, preserved in salt, or even tinctured. It's wonderful to have your own garden basil, rosemary, oregano, chives, and the like for those winter dishes. Every year, I try to preserve a number of herbs for teas all during the winter, including mint, lemon balm, lemon verbena, holy basil, and passion vine. I also grow stevia to sweeten my teas and smoothies. This is an annual, and I haven't had any luck growing it from seed, so I have to seek it out from growers every spring and let it grow all summer. Then at this time of year, I get busy preserving it to get me through the winter. I do this by freezing a bunch of leaves and also by making a tincture. For this, I use a method I learned from Jill Winger of the Prairie Homestead, which will be in the show notes. I'll add here as a precaution, yes, herbs are plants, but please don't assume that just because something is a plant, even a plant that's known for human consumption, that it's always safe and appropriate for you. I'm a little wary of the way the term plant-based has worked its way into usage as almost synonymous with being a good choice. Here's the bottom line. Plants have powerful properties, and you always want to learn about them before using them. Always do your research on contraindications, such as pregnancy and nursing, drug interactions, allergies, and all of that, before introducing anything new into your garden or your diet. And just because something is plant-based does not mean that those plants are always grown with human health or good dirt in mind. As always, be conscious, be curious, be discerning. Do your research and don't be afraid to question the prevailing narrative when it comes to safety. Okay, that's enough of that. Now more from the October Seasonal Kitchen. I want to share a favorite chocolate cake recipe with an ingredient that might surprise you. Here's a hint. This is a root vegetable that loves to grow in cool weather. Have you guessed it yet? Well, it's beets. Yes. This is a chocolate beet cake, and though I know it sounds odd, let me tell you that it works. The deep, earthy flavor of the beet blends perfectly with chocolate, and this is for sure my go-to cake any time of the year, actually, but especially in the fall when the beets are plentiful. Yes, we'll link the recipe in the show notes, and I'd love to hear from those of you who decide to try it. You can make it for your loved ones and not even tell them what's in it. So I'll let that be it for this month. Again, my hope for you is that you're able to embrace the true essence of this season in its natural splendor and partake in the fun without too much shopping. Remember, limit the orange and black plastic madness by choosing the outdoors over stores when possible. Let your senses be filled with the vibrant foliage, the bluest of skies, and the chill in the air. And let your celebrations stem from the joy of those things rather than the manufactured fun that we're expected to buy. I think you'll find that by opening up to what nature provides us for this season, you need much less of all that stuff than you think. Give it a try and let us know. We're always happy to hear from you by voicemail or email, all of that information below. And we look forward to being with you again in November. Bye, everyone.